Welcome to the New Point Community Church Podcast. This message is part of our series, Life is Complicated, We Can Help. We want to thank you for joining us, and we hope you continue to realize and reach your full potential in Jesus Christ. Hello, New Point. I want to welcome each and every one of you, whether you're at one of our physical locations or whether you're joining us online. And I want you to know how grateful I am for you, that you are are incredible. And because of your faithfulness and your giving and serving, we are making a huge, huge difference in this world. And I'm excited about the stories that I'm hearing week after week about people coming and getting connected with Jesus Christ and him transforming their life and bringing hope and healing. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. It's an honor to serve with you. Now we're in this series called Fruitful and we're talking about specific traits and characteristics that should be found in every person who claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And so if you claim to follow Jesus, there should be certain characteristics about you and about me because he promised that he would produce this in you and me as we trust in him. And it gives evidence that we're genuine, that we're authentic, that we're truly real followers of Jesus Christ. And and they're not evident and people who don't know Jesus Christ, but they are in the followers of Jesus Christ. Now, we've been talking about this for the last few weeks, that we're in partnership with God, that God has a part to play, but he's also invited you and I to play a part, to play a role. He does his part, we do our part. We're in this partnership, and what it does is it produces a fruit, a fruit in you and me that makes you and I effective and productive in life and in relationships. Now, we spoke about one of those things, and that main thing is love. It all flows out of love, agape love. And this love is not fragile. It's not flimsy, okay? It's stable. It's unconditional love. And so if you haven't had a chance to listen to some of the messages, I would encourage you to go to newpoint.org and download them and uh, begin to to allow God to speak to you. Now, today, what we want to talk about is joy, is joy. Now, why do we want to talk about that? Well, because it's part of the fruit of the Spirit, but the reason why is because everybody wants to be happy. If you ask people, what's your number one ambition in life? Most people are going to come back in one way or another. They're going to say, I just want to be happy. I just want to be happy. And so being happy is a serious business in our world today. I mean, we work at it. And there are people who are promoting it and saying, if you have this or if you experience this, you will be happy. And what we've bought into is this, that we have to be happy all the time. I have to act happy. I have to talk happy. I even have to smell happy. And I certainly must look happy. And if I'm not happy, I must fake it. I must put on a mask. I must end up being a little bit phony because I've got to project to everybody that I have. Have you seen my Facebook? See, what happens is we feel this 
incredible pressure to let everybody know that we're happy. And so we have this pressure to appear happy. And yet when we do so, it creates an enormous amount of anxiety and stress in our life. Because I don't know about you, but I see a lot of people, matter of fact, too many people, faking happiness in their life, and they're not living in reality. Somehow, we've bought into the lie that every day needs to be a perfect 10. It needs to go according to the way in which we've planned, or if we're really spiritual, the way in which we've prayed. And yet, the fact of the matter is, some days are just disasters, if we're honest about it, if we're really being truthful. But what we have to understand is that there's a difference between happiness and joy. We tend to blend the two together. But the fact of the matter is, they're not. They're two different things. You see, why do most fairy tales end this way? And they lived happily ever after. You see, it makes logical sense, but it's not true. It's not true. It's only true in fairy tales, and you and I are not living a fairy tale. You see, Happy is an emotional state, and joy is something that God produces in you and me. It's a muscle that needs to be developed. Matter of fact, Nehemiah, maybe you're familiar with him. He said it like this. He says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Now, if you know anything about Nehemiah, he did not live under the, quote, unquote, the happiest circumstances. He had incredible challenges before him, and even setbacks and disappointments. And yet he had a joy that enabled him to continue to do life and to experience life that gave him strength to face each and every difficult situation and disappointment that was before him. And the reason why is because he had joy. He had joy, not the emotion, but a state of mind. Now, here's what I know, because we're on the search of happiness, and what happens is we get sucked into it, and we go after happiness, and we pursue it, and we're convinced, if I can just experience this, if I can just have this, then somehow I will be happy, and we see this lived out in multiple different strategies. One might be, you know, you just fulfill the role that is before you. If I can just be a great husband, if I can just be a great wife, if I can just be a great father or mother or son or daughter or leader, then guess what? If I can just fit into that role, I'll be happy. Or maybe you find out that that doesn't work, and so you create your own role, and you believe that you can be anything that you want to be, and if you'll just be what you want to be, then you'll experience happiness. What happens is, when you and I chase happiness in that way, there's ultimately a crash and burn, which leads to disappointment and discouragement. And then there we go again. We have to fake it. And we have to act like it really doesn't matter. And yet the fact of the matter is, it does matter. And that's why pursuing happiness will ultimately lead you down a path of being enormously unhappy because you'll be let down most of the time. 
and see if fulfilling that role doesn't bring happiness or maybe creating your own role. Sometimes we even shock people. Have you known people this? They just go to the extreme and maybe they lived in the city. I'm going to the mountains because I'm going to find happiness there or I'm going to be a monk and they do these extreme things and they think, you know what? I'm going to find it because I'm on this mission. Or you know what else? Maybe it's not going to the extreme to shock everybody. It's kind of like, you know, I just need to do better. If I had a better spouse, if I had a bigger house, if I had this, then you know what? I could experience happiness. And yet what you find out is that it's very easy to turn into a cynical person and to be able to believe, you know what? The world can't deliver and their world won't deliver. And so what happens is life becomes meaningless and you begin to stop living and just existing. And what I want you to think about is this. Think about us Americans, okay? We're in the wealthiest nation on planet Earth, and yet there is a higher prescription rate for antidepressants than any other place on planet Earth. Why is that? We have so much, and yet we lack, quote unquote, what some people would call happiness. And the search is endless. Here's one guy's thought on it. Jim Carrey, maybe you know him, all right? He said, I think everybody should get rich and famous. I think we'd all agree on that, right? Do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. Oh, is that profound. He says, go ahead and search and go ahead and experience and go ahead and embrace all of it. Go after it, chase after it. And you're gonna find out that, you know what? It's not the answer. It's not the answer. Because only God can produce joy in a man or a woman. Joy that's lasting and not not fragile. See, Paul experienced this, and he writes about this in the letter to the Romans. He says this. He says, our faith in Jesus transfers God's righteousness to us, and he now declares us flawless in his eyes. Wow, that's incredible. This means we can now enjoy true and lasting peace with God, all because of what our Lord Jesus, the anointed one, has done for us. Wow, we have this relationship with God. He says, our faith guarantees us permanent access into this marvelous kindness that has given us a perfect relationship with God. And then he describes it. He says, what incredible joy bursts forth within us as we keep on celebrating our hope of experiencing God's glory. What's he saying? He's saying that joy comes from a relationship, a relationship with our creator. And and when we experience that relationship, three things begin to unfold in our life. One would be this, God's perspective, that he begins to produce a joy in you and I. And and true joy is experienced with God's perspective. See, Paul writes in another letter to the church at Corinth, he says, we view our slight and short-lived troubles in this light of eternity. We see our difficulties as the substance that produces for us an eternal weighty glory, far beyond what all comparison. 
He goes on to say, because we don't focus our attention on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but the unseen realm is eternal. What's he saying here? He is saying that when we have a right relationship with God, we'll have a right perspective about life. And we can experience joy in spite of our troubles, in spite of our difficulties, in spite of our hardship. You see, when we have the wrong perspective, we're robbed of joy. We're robbed of joy. I heard a story of a husband who had the habit of making sandwiches for him and his wife, and and, uh, he would just do it every Friday night. Every Friday night, it was he was going to make sandwiches for them. And so he would make these sandwiches and he would go to the loaf of bread and he would pull out the two ends of the bread loaf, which was the heels. And he would make her a sandwich. And then he would make himself a sandwich. And this continued for 10 years. And one Friday night, she got fed up because she just got so tired and angry that he would make her sandwiches out of the two ends, the heels. And she said, hey, I'm tired of this. I've put up with this. I haven't said anything about this because I don't want to complain. But I'm sick and tired of you making my sandwiches out of the two worst parts of the bread, of the loaf. The husband was shocked. And he looked back at his wife with tears in his eyes. And he said, honey, he said, for 10 years, I've been making your sandwiches out of what I consider to be the best part of the loaf of bread. And instead of taking it for myself, I've given it to you. Wow. That's perspective, my friends. You see, when we create a narrative based off of our own ground, level perspective, joy will exit our life. You see, it's tough. It's difficult to see seasons of God's love and God's care for you and me when our perspective is limited. I like to say it like this. Do you know the difference between an immature person and a mature person? It's perspective. Do you know the difference between a very mature person and a mature person? Better perspective. And what happens is you and I can experience true joy, the kind of joy that is not fragile, that's not based on circumstances, that comes from God himself when we have his perspective because of our relationship with him. Paul continues with this thought, and he says, but that's not all. It's not just about God's perspective. He says, even in times of trouble, we have a joyful confidence. Wow. Knowing that our pressures will develop in us patient endurance. And patient endurance will refine our character, and proven character leads us back to what? Hope. When there's hope, there's joy. And this hope is not disappointing, is not a disappointing fantasy because we can now experience the endless love of God cascading cascading into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who lives 
within us. What's he saying here? He is saying that true joy comes from God's perspective, but also from God's purpose. That, that, that when something comes into your life, something comes into my life, even if it's difficult, even if it's disappointing, even if it's hard, guess what? If we have the right perspective and we have God's purpose in front of us, there can be joy. You see, we see this in the author and the perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ, because he gives us an accurate picture You know, he was called, listen, he was called a man of sorrows, and yet he was a man of joy. Matter of fact, he offers his joy to you and me. He says, I give you my joy, and I want you to have my joy so that my joy may be complete in you. And yet he was a man of sorrows. How did this flush out in his life? Well, the Hebrew writer gives us a picture of it. It says, fixing our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Wow. What's going on here? You see, joy was his strength, and joy was what allowed him to be nailed to a cross. Because he says what was set before him gave him joy. What was set before him? He knew that going to the cross was going to enable you and me and every man and every woman to be able to have their sins forgiven and to be put in right relationship with Jesus Christ. And that was the joy. You see, joy is a point of view. Joy is a way of seeing things. And this allows you and I to be free from feeling a certain way. You see, listen to me. Joy is not the absence of sadness. Jesus did not find joy in the event of being nailed to a cross. What he found joy in was the outcome. You see, Jesus did not enjoy having his hands nailed to a wooden cross or his feet nailed to a wooden cross or a Roman spear thrust into his side. He had joy because he had a purpose. See, it's like a woman who's going into labor and she begins to feel those birth pains. But what happens is she looks beyond that and realizes that she's going to give birth to her son or her daughter. And joy comes to her. You see, if you're chasing a feeling, you're always going to be unhappy. You're always going to be disappointed. You see, we don't get to choose our feelings, but we do get to choose what we set before us. And I want to encourage you to set before you joy. You see, that's why we shouldn't compare If you compare yourself to other people, if you get on Facebook and you compare their vacation with your vacation, their house with your house, what happens is joy will always escape your life. It'll never be there. It'll never be there. And so joy is a decision on what you and I choose to focus on. And we have to focus on God's purpose in our life. And then finally, Paul continues, and he says, even more. You see how this is building? But that's not all. And now he says, but even more than that, 
we overflow with triumphant joy in our new relationship of living reconciled to God, all because of Jesus Christ. What's he saying here? He is saying, you know what? True joy, true joy comes not only through God's perspective and God's purpose, but God's presence. True joy is experienced when you and I are in God's presence. You see, you and I really can't muster up and choose joy. You just can't. What you can do is choose the priorities of life, and those determine your joy. You see, the psalmist writes it like this, Yahweh, you alone are my inheritance. You are my prize, my pleasure, and my portion. You hold my destiny and its timing in your hands. It says, my heart and my soul explode with joy, full of glory. Even my body will rest confident and secure because of you I know the path of life as I've tasted the fullness of joy in your presence. At your right side, I experience divine pleasures forevermore. He says, in your presence is fullness of joy. Now, here's what, listen to me. Here's what you need to understand. God's always present. The question is, are we present with him? And it's a choice that you have to make. You see, I have to decide that God is going to be the most important relationship in my life, that his will is what I desire above everything. Yeah, I can enjoy the things of life, but I don't need them. And I will not attach my joy to temporary pleasures or possessions. Though all of us have done that, right? Yeah, then we crash and burn. And we wonder what's happened to our joy. You see, it's in his presence that we find joy. The psalmist writes it like this. He says, I will go to the altar of God, to God who is my joy and happiness. You see, I get joy when I'm in his presence and I think about him. I get joy when I'm in his presence and I think about what he's done for me. Not what I've done for him, but what he's done for me. You see, religion is this. Religion is, well, I don't want to die and I don't want to steal and, and, and I want to be honest and I want to be on my best behavior because if I don't, I'll go to, I won't go to heaven. But that's a fear-based relationship. You see, I get joy in his presence when I think of who he is, that he's loving, that he's kind, that he's forgiving, that he's patient, and what he has done for me. You see, in reality, what we have to understand is this. The Bible views happiness and joy completely different. Happiness is an emotion that is dependent upon circumstances and situations. Joy, okay, is dependent upon a person, and his name is Jesus. It's a state of mind because I have his perspective and I have his purpose and I'm experiencing his presence. I love what Kay Warren has to say, and she says it this way, joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life. The quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right, and the determined choice to praise God in all things. And so true joy is experienced through a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
that allows me to experience his perspective, his purpose, and his presence. And what does that joy do for me? Let me give you three things quickly. It sustains me. It sustains us. All like, unlike any other kind of joy or happiness, the joy of the Lord is not dependent upon how things are going on in your life. It's dependent upon him, no matter what your circumstances are. You see, what, what happens is when you and I depend upon happiness or joy that relies upon circumstances and even people, we will find ourselves disappointed because they cannot sustain us. Earthly joys, earthly pleasures, or happiness cannot sustain you. Only his joy. But it does more than that. It strengthens us. It gives us strength to be able to go on. What did I say about Nehemiah? Nehemiah says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. What's, what's the joy of the Lord? His perspective, his purpose, and his presence that's evident in our life. And then the third thing that it does is it sets us apart from others. The joy of the Lord sets us apart from others. And so there should be something very distinctive about you. If you are a Christ follower, there should be a joy about you no matter what's going on in life because you have his perspective, you have his purpose, you're experiencing his presence. You see, joy is something that's very hard to explain, especially to somebody who doesn't know Christ because it comes from him. We don't manufacture it. We can't work it up. We can't even choose it. All we can do, all we can do is to be able to have a relationship with the one who can produce it and you and me. Because what happens is he brings a sense of contentment despite our circumstances. And so we can't choose joy, but you know what? We can choose our priorities. Our priorities. And I wanna leave you with three priorities that we can choose that will allow his joy to flow through you and me. Let me give you the first one. The first one is gratitude, just gratitude. You and I can practice gratitude. And when we practice gratitude, what we're doing is we're, we're, we're encouraging this joy to flow in our life. Paul writes it like this. He says, in everything, give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I love this quote. It's not joy that makes us grateful. That's what we think it is, right? It's gratitude that makes us joyful. Why? Because listen to me. What happens is when you're full of gratitude, joy begins to bubble up. And what I would encourage you to do today is just take some time today with a pad and pen and begin to write down the things that you're grateful for and you'll begin to experience this joy from deep within. Here's the second thing, and that is giving. Giving, a way in which you and I can nurture and practice joy and be able to determine our priorities that will produce this joy is not only to have a grateful heart, but have a giving heart. Jesus said it like this. He said, it is more blessed and brings greater joy to give than to receive. I, I want to tell you that if you get more pleasure in getting or receiving, no doubt, you know what? Joy is absent from your life. 
Because Jesus would say, hey, you got it backwards. It's more joyful to be able to give than it is to receive. You see, what happens is one of the biggest joy killers, you ready for this, is greed. You know, the word miserable comes from the root word miser. You see, when we're greedy, we're not joyful because it doesn't produce it in us. And then finally, good news, good news. Man, to practice joy is to to have a heart of gratitude, to have a heart of, of giving, and also to experience the good news. Look at what David said. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. Wow, he is saying that when you know that your guilt and shame has been dealt with, and you've experienced the good news that you can have a personal relationship with the one who created you that Paul talked about, and you begin to experience his perspective, his purpose, his presence, that you will be filled with joy. See, listen, listen to me. America is blessed in so many ways, so many ways. We, we have a better quote-unquote quality of life than probably anybody on the planet. And yet more Americans go to psychologists and psychiatrists than any other country in the world. Why is that? Well, I, I think it's because we've bought into the lie that happiness can be bought or purchased or found. And what happens is we find ourselves disillusioned and disappointed and depressed and discouraged. You see, what happens is for too many people, happiness is contingent upon how their life is going, whether things are going according to their plan, whether they have the right things, whether they're enjoying life in the way in which they pictured it. And when it's not, guess what? We're very unhappy. We're depressed. You see, what we need to realize is this truth. Clothes will never be fashionable enough for you to make you happy. The cars will never be fast enough to make you happy. The houses will never be elaborate enough to make you fulfilled and happy. C.S. Lewis puts it this way as we close. The reason why it can never succeed is this. God made us, invented us as a man invents an engine. A car is made to run on gasoline and it would not run properly on anything else. We would all agree with that. Now, God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel of our spirits. We're designed to burn or the food our spirits were designed to feed on. There is no other that is why it is just no good asking God to make us happy in our own way. Wow. God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. Are you experiencing joy? 
that can sustain you and strengthens you and that sets you apart from other people? If not, you know what? I invite you to experience it today in the person of Jesus Christ. There's no other way to really experience this deep abiding joy other than a relationship with him. And when we have that relationship with him, we begin to experience his perspective, his purpose, and his presence. And you'll begin to be overwhelmed with a sense of joy. That's not an emotion, but it's a deep-seated confidence within you. Would you pray with me? Maybe today you need to begin that relationship and just say, Jesus, as much as I know and as much as I understand, I ask you to come into my life. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I ask you to establish this relationship and fill me with your joy. That's all he asks of you and me. And maybe you are a Christ follower, but joy hasn't set you apart. And maybe today you need to come back and you need to say, God, give me a grateful heart. God, give me a giving heart. God, give me a heart that celebrates the good news that all of my sins, past, present, and future, are forgiven so that your joy will be produced in my life that will sustain me and strengthen me and set me apart. And so, Jesus, we thank you that it's your prayer, it's your desire that we would experience your joy and that it would be complete in us. And it's in your name we pray and believe and receive. Amen. If you want to talk to someone about a decision you've made or let us know how God's moving through this series, visit newpoint.org forward slash contact. Be sure to stay connected with us throughout the week on social media, download our app, subscribe to our weekly podcasts through the App Store or Google Play, or catch us on Roku or Apple TV. Thanks for listening to today's message, and we hope you continue to realize and reach your full potential in Jesus Christ.